welcome to Football Bloody Hell. Our guests tonight include Tony Pounder, Paul Thorpe, Dave Pryor, and Adam Davis, and me. And we might have another mystery guest. But then again, we might not. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Well, my guest this evening, uh, as you already heard, Aidy Hopper's in the building. Hi, Aid. Hi, mate. How are you? Yeah, all good. Thank you very much. And Thought little, little Harry, is he all right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Harry's doing well, thank you, mate. Good. He's doing super well. Give it a give it a few years, and he'll probably be doing this. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> Thorpe, you all right? Yeah, very well, thank you very much. Very, very well. Excellent. Adam's here. Hi, mate. Hi, guys. How are we? Yeah, all good, all good. And potentially we might be uh, visited a little bit later by uh, possibly Rick and Mr Pounder, but uh, we'll keep an eye on that. So uh, we will keep you posted if they make an appearance. But a lot to get through, particularly in the Premier League. Lots of derbies to talk about, lots of talking points, lots of controversies, as always. But going to have to start with Yeovil Town. Uh, unfortunately, they did get back from their rearranged game at Bromley with a 4-1 defeat. Um, those of you that were listening to Three Valleys Radio could argue that it might have been something to do with Ian Welch making his debut for Three Valleys Radio. Mm. Um, more to the point, Yeovil... It's been a relatively steady start and progress under Mark Cooper. Not been scoring too many goals, but not been conceding too many either. Um, Adam, I'll start with you. This Bromley game was a little bit of an anomaly compared to what we've seen so far, wasn't it? I, I agree. Um, I, unfortunately, was not able to listen to the ever-world-class commentary of Three Valleys Radio, but I was able to watch the highlights and the overwhelming feeling I got, basically out of context, really, is you only see the goals I appreciate. But it actually looked like Yeovil were a bit more attacking than normal. And as a result, that kind of accidentally became our downfall in conceding four. One of them was extremely unfortunate. You can see that in Grant Smith's face as he's diving one way and the ball's going the other. Um, and you can see that despite the terrible camera work of the Bromley uh, highlights package, if I do say so myself. But the rest of the goals were... Most of the time they go in, they're poor positions to be letting them in. It's a bit of a shame. But there were quite a few chances there that on other days they probably do go in. So I was I was actually, although it was a 4-1 defeat, and that's, that's, you can never put that as a good thing, I was actually quite impressed with, with how Yeovil were playing. We're definitely playing, definitely playing faster than we did at the beginning of the season. And, and I think that's, for me personally, that's much more entertaining to watch. I, I always compare it to... The last game I saw live, which as we know, I live in the deep, darkest north, and so I don't get to see Yeovil very often. And I was at Oldham away about three months ago. And the difference between what you can see from a very small highlights package versus Oldham's game, where we where we got beaten 2-0 and looked really rather out of ideas, shall we say, that the difference has actually been quite major, despite there not being a huge amount of changes in players. Although those that have come in, I think, have made an absolutely massive difference. Um, Thorpe, I'll, I'll bring you in, um, particularly yeah. with this game against Bromley. Um, you'll know as, a, as an ex-pro, sometimes can the game just get away from you if you find yourself one or two goals down, say, after about 20, 25 minutes? Because even if you're playing well, suddenly that completely sucks the life out of the game quite early on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're always like pressing and, and trying and trying to like um, force the game, if you like, uh, and maybe trying things that you probably wouldn't because you're trying to get back into the game. Uh, again, uh, reiterate what uh, Adam said. Like the first goal's massive deflection, really disappointing that uh, that 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 sort of luck didn't go their way. Early doors as well, you know. It's, and um, you think you can get back into it, and then bang, you get another one, and. Uh, um, where, where realistically you're thinking, 
there's not it's poor defending really. Somebody's come down. They haven't got the second ball. They haven't thrown themselves to like um, uh, try and uh, and block it. And then and then they really are pushing the game. And then the third one's just really really scrappy. Not aggressive enough in the tackle. Um, you know, it, it, then there's a great block from the keeper. It then just runs to the byline. So it's, it's scrappy, like, you know, and then they get a goal back and then obviously they're pushing and pushing and then you, you, you get the sucker punch, don't you? So, um, so yeah, uh, listen, I, I totally get what Adam's saying. They do look as though they were, were, were attacking more. They did have the, the opportunities to get back in the game and they just didn't take them. I think that's the difference at the moment. We we need to be a bit more ruthless in the, both boxes. And, um, you know, listen, it's great to move the ball around a bit quicker. It's great they're trying to attack more. It's obviously something they're trying from the training ground. Um, but both in, inside both boxes is critical. And um, I think they just got a little bit, you know, listen, they've done really, really well so far. And um, this one, like you say, it's just got away from them, uh, Hilda and... Uh, don't be dis- despondent about it. Let's, you know, take it on the chin, roll the sleeves up, and um, get back into the next game. Ada, you've been at the um, press conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of a feeling amongst the supporters that um, one of the strengths that Mark Cooper can bring to the to the table is the fact that his contacts book will be a lot stronger than, say, Chris Hargreaves was. You only need to look at the experience in the clubs he's managed. And like uh, Adam alluded to, there's been some player changes uh, a lot has gone out this week but he's also brought in um young wasn't it from from chippenham town who does look a lively player and also he's brought his son in but you know a few people might be saying yeah bringing in your son however you only need to look at what happened with the johnsons and that could be an absolute blinder and he's got decent pedigree particularly at this level um do you think that is something that is definitely going to be be a positive for Yeovil, the fact that his contacts book is possibly a little bit more advanced than what we had previously? Well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? But uh, I think two things to, to point out, really. First of all, they, they show, there's a, a bit of a film on YouTube of, of uh, Young um, playing and scoring a few goals. On that, I mean, obviously, you're obviously going to give us your best bits of YouTube rather than your worst bits of YouTube. But uh, he looked quite sharp and lively, and he took the goals well that he scored on, on that clip. So that was one good thing. It's kind of ironic that uh, one of the things that came up at the press conference that Mark was saying that um, obviously we've got a, a very good, or we're going through a very good period of defending. And, and you know, our defence has been pretty solid right away up to this particular point. And he did make the point at the press conference that, you know, he said, you've got to be careful that if you if you start putting too much emphasis now to trying to get the attack working, that you might, by doing that, take away a little bit from the defence. And it would appear that he was smack on with that one because it certainly did. So um, yeah, you know, it's 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 a bit disappointing to ship four. Okay, one was a wicked deflection, we know, and a couple of others maybe could have been defended better. But um, I suppose you know, when you, I mean, we haven't sort of lost a game for quite a. Is it ten? Have I got that right since we last lost? It must be getting on for that anyway. But it was against Woking, wasn't it? We we, we lost the last one. So, mm. you know, maybe, maybe, just, maybe just, you know, the pendulum swung a little bit and, and we, we had one come in and it came on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I think what's important... Sorry, quickly. Um, Bromley are, with that win, a point outside the playoffs. Obviously, it's still early days, but Bromley, are, you know, they're a decent side at this level as well, Thorpe. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're they're a very good uh, uh, team at this level. I think what's important, uh, and AD sort of like picked a little bit on it, is the fact that you know since Mark's come in, he stopped the rot, and that's not that's not easy to do. I can say that now. It's not easy to do to do because the mentalities have got to change. You know, sometimes it can be a bit of fresh air, or otherwise you're just carrying on with your. Um, you know, Nathan's found that at Southampton. He's he struggled. Now all of a sudden he's got a free game run going now. You know, maybe the tide is, uh, is turning for him. And, and Mark's sort of like, this is the, really the first little blip since he's been at the club. And, um, you know, he, he just needs to re-emphasise and keep positivity that, that he's sort of built up um, in in the way that the, the team have played. And um, hopefully we can get a, a decent result in the next game. Adam, is the target still survival? 
I'd like to think that it's probably now mid-table, given that we've looked at... There's been a long enough period now under Mark Cooper that we've actually seen positives and and then, OK, we've seen that there, the team is still susceptible to the odd mess-up, but even the world's best lose. So I, I think we're actually starting to pull away from it now. I think you have to look at both Torquay games as a really good metric of this is what a team looks like when they're playing a, like a team that unfortunately is fighting for relegation versus what we've been playing like in the last 10 to 12 games or so i think i think there is a slight improvement on that i think that although the form table would probably say you know undefeated in 10 and you know we, we've only lost one in 12 or whatever it is or two in 12 you know that's playoff form i think that would be probably slightly unrealistic because there's been plenty of draws in there as well which is what yeovil seem to specialise in, particularly this season. But I, I think a solid mid-table finish, given given the the inconsistency and that we just couldn't quite get anything going under Chris Hargreaves at the beginning of the season, I think is a really, really impressive um, place to be. I think that we're probably maybe three or four players away from a, from a playoff-pushing side. I think we need more consistency up front. Uh, I think the likes of, although although that's come through today, you know Jordan Maguire Drews here on a permanent basis now. I think that's a really really exciting sign. Um, but we still need something alongside. I like Alex Fisher. I like Makai Linton. I don't like their consistency. Both of them are more than capable of scoring, but it's not on a consistent level enough to really get playoff pushing. So maybe Jordan Young is the answer. I sincerely hope so. But um, I think mid-table is, we can be very proud with how that results, especially when there's been so much controversy off the field as well. Just looking at the table here, and yeah, it absolutely astonishes me that Notts County have managed to accumulate 62 points when Yeovil were on 27. The differences in this league, particularly at the top end, are quite astonishing. Um, AD, I'll just quickly come to you. We got a chance to do a bit of a preview as well because obviously as we record this Yeovil's next game is Barnet away Barnet are actually flying at the minute as well they were earlier in the season when Yeovil played them and Yeovil played really well but Barnet managed to nick the game if I remember and um, it's going to be a tough match and suddenly the momentum looks a little bit differently if they don't come away with anything on Tuesday yeah it does uh, I always remember Again, the uh, last game I went to at, Bar at Barnet when Yeovil won, I think, 4-3 away from home. It was a hell of a game and lots of goals. Yeah, mm. yeah, it was a good game. So, you know, Barnet are no pushovers, that's for sure. And, um, you know, Yeovil have really got to batten down the hatches, I think. I mean, I'd take a draw now. I don't know what Thorpey thinks, but I'd certainly take a draw now just to just to get that, that defeat out of our system. And then we could, we got two home games. Then I think on the trot against Altrincham was one of them. What's the other one? Um, somebody tell me, please. What's the other game? Wildstone. Uh, right. Uh, which well, Altrincham will be tough, but Wildstone ought to be slightly less so. Um, so yeah, I think it's important that we'd get at least a draw on uh, Tuesday night, and hopefully, by the time our listeners listen to this podcast, they'll be they'll know that the result is, and we did get a draw. I mean, a win would be great. I'm not trying to be negative, but uh, I just think we need to, you know, just stabilise the ship a little bit because mm. it, it takes, it takes, a, you know, the confidence gets knocked, doesn't it, when you ship four in. So, um, yeah, that's what I is would there, think. Is there any indication that Owen Bevan will be back? Because he seems to be the absolute key at the back, and that's something that I've seen an awful lot across various social media channels and what have you is the fact that obviously he didn't play <clears throat> onto Saturday and we looked remarkably more shaky than normal as some some described I think him and Max Hunt together has been excellent at the back do we know if he's back at all I've not heard any comment on that at all so I don't know no no I was thinking that the same question because I don't want to Obviously, you need to be, you know relatively careful to an extent on on, on this podcast because we've got to say things how they are and we've got to look uh, particularly on the pitch and how they're playing. But Thorpe, I just wanted to ask you about Ben Richards Everton because he's come into a little bit of criticism, criticism, should we say, amongst fans recently. Obviously, he's been put in different positions, as we saw against um, yeah. Thorpe in that experimental mm -hmm. role. But as Adam touched on, it does seem to be Bevan and 
um, in there with with Max Hunt as the the preferred duo. Um, where do you see Ben Richard Everton form? I think where possibly, without putting words in supporters' mouths, is because he's got the potential to be a really good pro, uh, player. You look at the size, the presence that he's got, and maybe they yeah. just want to see a little bit more. Is that fair to say? Yeah, a little bit more aggression. I think, you know, um, the, the, the the guy absolutely 100% can play. He can play higher. You know, I just want to see, uh, for me, he's got a good touch. You know, he delivers good balls back. He's not a forward. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you that now. He's not a forward, you know, um, and uh, he needs to concentrate on, on, on his defensive role. You know, and again, it's just those, it's, it's in those two boxes. You know, as I said to uh, Josh um, a little while ago, you know, so you've got to be aggressive in both boxes, and um, uh, that—that's the part that I think that uh, it, it's a fault for a lot of players nowadays. You know, it's—it's it's a different type of game now, and um, and I think that that, that aggression, um, especially at lower league football, I think is something that that, that is is missing a little bit. You know, that that little bit of tackling, a bit of aggression going into the tackle. You know, I don't want anybody sent off. Of course, I don't, but. Um, you know, but I think that uh, that's something that he can add to his, to his game, and and there's no reason because he's left-footed as well. He can play in the left-hand side of a three at the back as well, so he's well suited. He's got fairly decent pace on him as well, um, so he really just um, needs to concentrate, get his head down, and um, show the old fans what he what he's about. I think I would argue you've touched on the exact reason why he's currently in a yoga shirt, Thorpe, is the fact that you're right, he can play Harry, he has the all the physical attributes required but yeah. it's, that, it's that inconsistency that unfortunately is the difference between those that play in League 1, League 2 than yeah. they are that make a decent career in the National League, he's, you know, he's, he's got plenty of experience at Barnet more than speci- uh, to be more specific but mm. there's I've, I've noticed this, that there's an element of it's 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 a lack of consistency. It's a lack of concentration sometimes, which makes him prone to a mistake. But that is the exact same case for every single other team, and every other player probably that has made a very decent career around the national league level is the is is that type of presence. What he needs now is a good run of games where we need a clean sheet or two, and they go you know they go Ben, you were a crucial part of that. He's back on the wagon, and we probably don't mention his name in a good way for the rest of the season. Let me put it another way. I want to see a leader out there. I want to see more leaders. And I think that would really enhance Mark's squad. You know, uh, listen, our our true friend, uh, you know, at Three Valleys with Josh, as we all are, and uh, he's shown real leadership qualities uh, right from the start of the season. You know, and, um, and he leads right from the front. I actually think his form's dipped a little bit, and it's not. I don't think it's his fault. You know, I think that maybe I think that, that there's there's too much pressure put on on him because there's not enough leaders in the squad, and I think that other people need to take more responsibility instead of him trying to do it all by him. No, not all by himself because it's certainly not not true, and he'll tell you that himself. But but um, because he's leading from the front, sometimes he takes that maybe that little bit of a touch too many and gets caught where, you know, before he, he just playing at the back, he would have just played it nice and simple. But, um, you know, and I think that other people need to step up to the plate like Josh has done from the start of the season. And he's certainly one of them as well. And that can certainly do it. You know, Max Hunt had a little dip in form. He's come back strong, to be fair. You know, he's come back and, and, and shown those qualities. You know, and, and, and uh, Everton, he needs to do exactly the same. Absolutely the same. So just a reminder then, if you are listening to this on the uh, podcast feed, that uh, Yeovil will be playing Barnet, and that will be available with uh, George Marshall-James, I believe is doing the commentary tomorrow night. However, if you are listening to this on Three Valleys Radio on Wednesday evening, then you missed it and hope you enjoyed the commentary and a Yeovil win. Covering all basic on the anytime listening of the show. So, Aidy Hopper, your time has come because we're going to go straight into the Premier League and there's only really, well, I say there's one place to start. There's quite a few places to start, really, when you look at the fixtures and the results over this weekend. But we'll go chronologically. And um, on the Saturday, where it finished Manchester United to City 1. We will, of course, 
come to those decisions, particularly oh. with goal. But before then, oh, oh. AD, you said to me privately last week that you will wait to see this game is finished before you give your verdict on where you see Manchester United going forward. You watch the game. You've seen the result. What did you make of it? Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, I just want to have a quick mention for our friend Rick because he was dying to be on tonight, but unfortunately he's been taken ill and he's not able to make it. But I know he'll be listening and he'll be looking to me to hold up our end. So um, it's going to be heavy lifting up against Thorpe, especially, but I've got to have to hold up our end. So um, as to my comments, yes, um, I did say that. And I must admit, at the first half, I, th I thought we played well, but I didn't think uh, it was a particularly entertaining game. I don't know what Thorpe thought, but... Um, and then, of course, to go down 1-0, um, the first goal we've, we've conceded for some time now, uh, was a bit of a disappointment. But we came back with a bang. Now, so the answer to your question is, I think uh, we are definitely back with a bang. And if we can... Uh, I mean, next week is another one of those, we'll see where we are next week, because we've got Arsenal away next week, which is not going to be easy either. And, and having watched Arsenal against Spurs this week, I thought... I thought Arsenal looked good, but I thought Spurs looked terrible. So whether that made Arsenal look better, I don't know. We'll see what the other boys think. But I, I thought United were, were looking strong, looking really strong now. Um, as Bruno, Bruno said, we're more of a tight team now, and we are, I think. Um, so, you know, I was I was chuffed as nuts to come back like that. Um, we'll talk about the goal. Um, <clears throat> Paul's played the game. He knows the rules. The rules are constantly being tinkered with. Um, I must admit, if I was a City fan, I'd be pretty pissed off having seen how far offside Rashford was. But if the rules say he's not offside if he doesn't touch the ball, which he didn't, uh, you know, um, I suppose you could argue then that it, that it was a goal. But then there's this interfering with play bit, <coughs> excuse me, um, which, you know, is again, is sort of in the eyes of the referee to a certain extent. So, as I say, I think, uh, you know, if I was a City fan, I'd be pretty fed up with that. But on the other hand, I'm not a City fan and I'm absolutely delighted to go winning. <laughs> um, I just want to quickly come in on that before Paul answers on a um, sort of from a former player's perspective. And also, because Rick isn't here, it gives me a chance to give my opinion on it without him uh, smirking in the background. So I'm going to take the best opportunity in the world to... I'm sure he'll be listening to this. Um, <laughs> so th th there's two things to kind of differentiate, isn't there? It's the fact that I actually don't think the referee got it wrong because of how the law is actually written and you could give your own interpretation. Um, it's the fact that the whole common sense tells everybody that Rashford was obviously offside. Of course he was interfering because everybody was looking at him. The two Manchester City defenders almost kind of slowed down because they saw that Rashford was offside and then Fernandez comes from nowhere. But fair play to Fernandez because he still saw the opportunity to to take the goal and then the referee then has a decision to make by the laws that have been written at the moment. But I think we can agree that it's the law that's probably the issue rather than the decision. Yeah. But I just wanted to make that point because Rick very much made the point last week when Liverpool should have had a goal disallowed because of offside, but it was headed back by the Wolves defender. And he was livid about that. But uh, again, it's the laws rather than the decisions of the ref. Okay. Absolutely, first class. Uh, <laughs> yeah, first class. Uh, so let's 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 break it down. So first and foremost, um, Man United deserve to win the game. Okay, they they, they absolute Harlem was a disgrace. I thought for for his team, they absolutely put Adam in the pocket. Um, and as regards to the first goal, you're right. By the laws of the game. And this is where the difference is between people who've played the game and people who haven't played the game. Um, he is 100% in the frame of play because you know, as a what another way of looking at it is, is this: what's the point of a defender playing a high line and pressing when that person is so far offside, then runs towards the ball, looking to, to, to gain that advantage? It's offside. You know, the fact that he's not touched the ball. He's still seeking an advantage. 
And I think that it just masks um, part of the rule. So it just makes it so complicated. Um, just because they're saying, oh, well, he didn't touch the ball. Well, no, he's actually so far offside. So let's say, let's all stand offside and then run towards the ball. And But we, we're, we might sort of like get in someone's way and, and then let somebody else kick the ball in the back of the net. And I think that we're taking it to the extremes now. That's an offside goal, 100%. As a fo- any footballer will tell you, um, those both those defenders nearly stopped because they thought this is going to be offside because you know he's he's running towards the ball, right down the middle of the goal, and the fact that somebody else then comes in and says stop, don't touch it, don't touch it, and then he whips it in, um, I think is masking and and causing footballers an array of problems where all of a sudden they're not going to play the offside rule, they'll just drop deeper and deeper and deeper. And it will, in fact, ruin the game. And I think this is the only one that I've actually seen for a long, long time that I think is is the worst case um, of of where a rule is as uh, is wrong is is absolutely one hundred percent wrong. But let's let's not mask it. Like you know, Manchester United played extremely well. They they came back. They were ruthless in their finishing. He's on a goal run, Rashford, like you know, like I've never seen. He's got a smile on his face. You know, we said last year, you know, if he, if this guy manager gets it right, then watch out the rest of the league because Manchester United be back. And unfortunately, I was right, and um, um, and I wish I hadn't been because you know it's a, it's, it's the Manx, isn't it? You know, I just want to bring I just want to bring Adam in a second because um, obviously, as I say, we we don't have um. Rick here this evening, and we do we do wish him well. Yeah, wish but, him well. Um, just for the fact that he isn't here, Adam, do you just want to tell us on behalf of Rick how wrong we all are and City are just crybabies? Well, it, I feel like it would only be appropriate for me to say so in the vein of Rick. Unfortunately, I could never do it justice, and I agree with you all completely. <laughs> I think I think it was. Uh, I don't understand quite where the issue originally arose with the idea of. Under the laws, it's fine, uh, but clearly it's an offside goal because everyone clearly sees that. All Man United fans will happily admit that now under the notion that they've won uh, and probably would have brought it up if they hadn't. Um, And yet I've always, I thought, my understanding of the rules of games that the interfering with play has always been an offside call. And I don't quite understand how it was suddenly then acceptable in that goal. Um, I don't think, though, that that should detract from the fact that United were the better team, and they looked pretty mm. impressive from what I saw. I, uh, I, I, I'll be honest. I mainly caught the first half, and then luckily got the two Man United goals, so uh, bookended it quite nicely. And Man United always looked slightly more together with it. The, the thing that I noticed with City, which I don't think I've noticed probably for six or seven plus years, is they look, they kept losing the ball. They they pass it around, and they'd lose possession as opposed to being a hard tackling or something like that. They didn't look quite on form. Haaland is a perfect uh, embodiment of that, but I think the whole attack of Man City looked really quite, just quite off it today. And this was probably the worst possible scenario for a for a passionate Manchester United or United uh, or City fan that it was just one of those days where City just didn't quite do it. Now, in the rare cases where that's happened in the past, they've gone on and thumped their next opponents. So I don't know who they are, but I feel sorry for them. I think it's Tottenham, which, given how naff they were against Arsenal, we can only wait and see. It's interesting you mentioned um, Harlan, um, Thorpey. Um, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, he was pretty... I mean, he had, I think I read somewhere he got 19 touches in the whole 90 minutes, which for a player, you know... Um, but I mean, he didn't look as though he was particularly enthusiastic about it. He didn't that's, look. That's no, that's no different to how he's been playing all season, though. If well, you look at his touches in games, we've spoken here before about how he's only touched the ball about five or six times, but he normally gets three goals. I think it's yeah. just because when you get a performance like what happened on Saturday, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. So the question is, I guess, Thorpe, do you want your striker? To just be that guy that is so lethal and it doesn't matter if he doesn't get involved. But then if the team is losing, suddenly you want that little bit more. But can you ask for both? It kind of reminds me of, of, of you talk about you want your striker doing that sort of um, actions. But I remember Jimmy Greaves. Now, Jimmy Greaves didn't exactly get involved in, in play. He just 
hang around in the penalty box and score goals at will. Um, whereas Haaland, yeah. Haaland only had about one one uh, attempted shot on goal, and he, he, he it was blocked anyway, and it it was cleared. I didn't see him in in the penalty box at all. I I I, I more looked at his sharpness around the box, and his, it just didn't look like just didn't look it almost interested at times. Mm. You know, as, as much as as in the Liverpool game, Alexander Arnold. I mean, he, I was I was like infuriated with him, and he's come out and said that's not good enough. Show a little bit more about yourself, then, you know. Um, but I like, think... for, for for me, Haaland didn't do enough. He didn't do enough to. He was he was marked out completely and utterly marked out of the game, and um, you know, and, and all credit to to um, you know, little Shaw did a great job back there. I mean, Harry Maguire must think what have I got to do now, apart from leave the football club, which which I think he should do, and re try and rebuild his career. Um, you know, and uh, but they did a mag- magnificent job on him, and um, and, sh- and and shepherded the responsibility. He wasn't man marks, you know. He was, um, you know, he passed between uh, the two or three defenders at the back, and, um, and they actually did a mag- magnificent job. And uh, you, Man United fans, can be extremely proud of that performance. And um, do, you, do you think also the reaction after the game as well? I think it showed that. Um, it, you know that Man United are getting back to the, to their towards their best. Do you think one of the reasons why Haaland was so ineffective though was the fact that uh, uh, Pep had, had changed his format slightly and and you know the emphasis on attacking wasn't there. I mean I, I, I get the impression they were they were looking for a breakaway goal. They got it, but it was only in the, the sort of dying stages of the game that they started to camp inside the United you know attacking zone sort of thing. So. I don't know. This, I just... is, this is my. I was going to make a very similar point, AD, is the fact that if. When you have a team such as Man City, who have so many midfielders that can basically do what they like because they are so unbelievably talented. Jack Grealish, when he runs with the ball, it's not a lot that people can really stop him about. Kevin De Bruyne goes without saying. Bernardo Silva, and so on and so on. Do you then want, if they're going to be pushing from the midfield all the way up? towards the 18-yard box, for example. Do you want, necessarily, Haaland getting in the way, by which I mean him dropping off and trying to receive the ball? Do you actually just want him exactly how he's playing and that there are very rare cases where that particular system doesn't work? We go back to, and of course, there are so many similarities between uh, Yeovil Town and Man City. That, of course um, there are. Well, exactly. The, the best teams sometimes lose because the system doesn't fit that particular match. That's probably a uh, that's probably a failing of Pep on one, one game in what is a you know a forty odd game season. I think it's, I don't think it's too much to say that this was just simply an off day for City and that they shouldn't be suddenly trying to overhaul everything they play just because for one game, Man United looked better than them and Haaland wasn't used as effectively as he could do. You know, if he's if he's dropping deep to receive the ball and Harry Kane's always a good example of someone who does that as a striker and particularly a lone striker well that's because they Tottenham don't necessarily have the midfielders to push it forward City do so I think I think it's that we might be trying to look for a pattern that simply isn't there and it was simply an off day so can United win the league no no (laughs) well I I hope you have to swallow those words no uh, (laughs) I think it was impressive as well. He's he's getting performances. Uh, I don't know how he's doing it, but he's getting performances out of people. You know, Wambasaka looks a bit like a player again hmm. instead of somebody who wasn't looking interested. I mean, I, I, I'm quite surprised that they get, they've got the ratings here about how they scored against the Man City players. Not one Man City player got above a four, you know, and um, out of five, I think it is. And um, there's quite a lot of fours, obviously, in the Man United side. You know, uh, but Fred got a 3.9. How did he not get more than that? You know, against Casemiro got a 4.4. I mean, Fred was all over the place. Mm. His aggression in the tackle. I think that was the difference between in, in, in the teams was, you know, there's not one booking in in the actual, like, Man City's team. You know, Man, Man United had three bookings. And um, it, it, I think that, that showed that a level of determination and a level, you know, sometimes... You can have all the skill in the world, and I go back to the Real Madrid, El Clasico sides that that, um, that that had had probably the best world eleven ever, and they couldn't win. They couldn't win the, the European Cup. They couldn't win the Premier League. 
because they they will yeah but the old classico sides where um you know it, it can't be individuals you need to play as a team and uh he's you know he's getting fantastic um uh teamwork and camaraderie um out out of out of uh out of his squad and uh you know, when you're getting one Basaka looking like a player again, Fred's energy, Casemiro's quality, Fernandez. I'm not a lover of Fernandez. He's, he play acts too much, but he, you know, he, he's getting into those scoring positions. Eriksen's been a signing of the season for me. I was not sure about that at all, but it's been a signing of the season. He just needs to get a little bit more out of Martial at the moment, I think. But uh, certainly, um, a good possibility of European football for next year. Hmm. Well, I think we've got a good possibility of winning the league, but we'll see. We'll see what happens next Saturday. So let's, let's just come on to that point then, Aidy, because it's Arsenal that find themselves um, clear at the top, 47 points, Man City on 39, then Newcastle 38, United 38, and then a little gap on Spurs on 33. Um, really, really comprehensive performance um, in the North London derby. Yes, OK, you could look at it and say Spurs' form has been very erratic and on the way down recently, but you only need to look at Arsenal's form at Spurs. You need to look at last season. Their um, top four surge pretty much capitulated at Spurs. The whole mentality shift within you know less than six months has been quite astonishing. Um, I want to come on to what you think of their title chances, because obviously it goes without saying, they're top of the table. Mm. But I've not seen one pundit yet take Arsenal seriously. And I don't know. I know that they've got form to dip, but they're they're a long way clear. And if this was Man City on 47 points and the second team are on 39, we'd be saying that there isn't a title race. It's done. Adam, what's the difference? I think it's it's a huge... We can't remove the fact that people just simply can't believe that it's happening. And I, the top. That's exactly what I was going to bring that exact point up, is that I remember everyone thinking the exact same thing. Yes, Leicester are leading, but they'll lose at such and such. But they'll, they'll lose at them. such and such. And they just kept winning. I, hmm. I was one of those that genuinely thought that when Gabriel Jesus got injured for Brazil in the World Cup, I thought that's the end of that. Because I thought he was the one thing that Arsenal were very much missing for a long period of time was a half-decent striker. They've replaced him with Eddie Nketiah, who, in my opinion, is truly awful. And yet, they keep scoring. They're getting him to score, so they must be doing something, either witchcraft or Michael Arteta is actually quite good. What it shows is, if you back a manager and have a philosophy and have an idea, and you leave him more than 20 minutes to do the job, he does quite a good job at it, particularly if they're half-talented. I, I actually think that we should be taking them incredibly seriously. Do I think they'll win the league? No. Do I think they'll come second? Yes. And I, and I think it's... But the fact that every Sky Sports pundit, who which I disagree with pretty much all of them all of the time... Um, the fact that they're still claiming that, you know, Man United stand a better chance or Newcastle stand a better chance because all of them are either ex-Man City or ex-Man United. They can't bear the idea that Arsenal might actually be playing some nice football. I think they are. Mate. I mean, I watched the, the first half. Well, I watched the whole game. And the first half, I thought they ripped Spurs to pieces. They, they looked they brilliant. Were, they were. They were really, really good. And Spurs were it's really, awesome. really bad. Well, also, you've got to remember as well that there's no no team that many points clear um, of, of uh, this stage of the season have in fact not gone on to win the title. Um, and as regards to like the chances of Manchester United, they've got to have a four game swing to get above four game swing. So they've got to lose four games, and you've got to win four games. Um, for it for it to even get close, so well, one could be next week though that could knock off two if, that, we, if listen, we beat no, them. Listen, listen, it could could it happen? Of course, it could happen. Is it more realistic? Is it going to happen? You know, I don't think with the confidence in that club at the moment. You know, you you have a look at their. Um, so let's have a look at their next run. So they've got uh, you've obviously got a big one against Man United. Okay. Um, then you've got an FA Cup game. They've got then Arsenal, Brentford, tough game, <coughs> Brentford. Then they've got Man City at home, big game. Aston Villa, 
playing well, but you know potentially that could go either way. Leicester, Bournemouth, Fulham, Crystal Palace, Leeds United, they should be winning all those games. And then we're then we're into then we're into April when they got Liverpool. Well, the way Liverpool play at the moment, Liverpool are going to end up mid-table, and Arsenal should be taking taking those points off us as well. I think you know, I think the overwhelming thing of all of this, and I think the key distinction, I think City are the only ones that can genuinely challenge outside of Arsenal in their current position. I think Man United just. Not quite there yet. I think Champions League would be excellent for them. And if we if we leave that to one side, I think the key difference is the depth that Man City have versus what Arsenal have got. If you take Saka out of that Arsenal side, for example, which is a very real possibility, they significantly look poorer. Erdegaard, yeah. another one. William Saliba. Whereas with Man City, there's potentially a few others. But if they but, stay injury-free, it's possible. But you say that. Newcastle and Man United are only one point behind. Newcastle have actually played a game more. You know, but they're only one point behind Man City. So, Bobby, I just, uh, I just want to come in on that because you've both unanimously said, I, I made sure I'd stayed quiet and I'll justify it with this next comment. But <laughs> I asked you both if you felt Man United win the league and you both unanimously said no. Mm. You both don't think Arsenal will win the league, which by definition no. I assume means I that... Said that. Did you not I say didn't. that? No. You said Arsenal would drip. Okay, sorry. No, I um, think they've got a good chance of winning the league. Very good okay. chance. Because I think everyone's guilty at thinking that Man City are better than they actually are. Because, yes, they've got a big squad, but they're not on it this year. And I think that they're going to look to try and get that Champions League finally. Yeah. I, I think Man City still drop more points than Arsenal. And if you don't think Man United will win, then I, yeah, I think, I think Arsenal could still do this. I do. Under, under no uncircumstances do I not think that it's possible. I just simply believe that on the balance of a few injuries to a Man City side versus a few injuries to an Arsenal side, I fear that the form could trail off or is more likely to trail off than a Man City side. They've won titles looking as inconsistent as they do now. If Arsenal win the title, I'll be very pleased for it. I'll be receiving many messages from friends of mine who are Arsenal fans, who I like to take great enjoyment out of taking the mick out of over the last 10 years, who are <laughs> definitely going to be throwing that back in my face. I then remind them that I'm a Yeovil fan and that they go, oh yeah, you probably do have it worse, don't you? It's like, yes, thank you. So we carry on. But other than that, I think it is possible. I just think City are more likely. What's he waffling about there? Has he lost the plot? I mean, he's well, waffling he, away he, there. Arsenal, in Eric, we believe. Eric's the man. It, he, you can tell it, he's turned the whole thing round. And you just wait and see, because as we keep going, we're going to get Arteta, stronger. Pum? <laughs> so's Arteta. He's turned it around. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that, but he'll come second, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, just think, I, I just think that by the time, by the, the next six weeks are critical for Arsenal. And if they get through oh, that absolutely. next six weeks, you know, uh, they get through that next six weeks and get into the start of April, you know, you know, in the March, that, but you, you've got a massive swing then. And, I, and I'll tell you now. It's very quickly, it, Toby, to, to clarify your comments, because I obviously did get them wrong there, for which I apologise, that if you don't think Arsenal win the league, you think Man City will then. No, I don't. I don't. I think, no, I think, I think, I think he, he probably okay. thinks I think Liverpool. Is, <laughs> um, I, I honestly think that. I, I honestly think that it's, it's, it's Arsenal's to lose. But tell, tell me something, Thorpe. If you were put, uh, Arteta next Saturday, how would you mm. how would you set out with that game? Would you would you think, well, a point would be a good result here because in in the we're eight points clear, another point now. You know, United can't gain any points on us if we if we give them a point. Or would you would you go all out to win the game? I don't think his philosophy philosophy will change one bit. Mm. You know, I, I, I think they're very that good. I, I think they are playing that good, and I think they're dominating. They're pressing. They're pressing high. They're winning ball back. I'd be very very surprised if they if they don't play exactly the same way. You know, got when you got players in confidence. You know, um, why would why would you change that? Why would you say, oh, we're going to play differently this week? You know, when you've got, a, got them running, you know, when when we won the league at Yeovil Town, 
we let in, I think it was 20, 21 goals. Tell me if I'm wrong. Something, I know it was very low. When I won the championship at Town, we let in 18 goals in a season. You know, with that breeds confidence. You go out with it. When I played at Taunton Town, again, it was probably 18 goals. You know, you, you, you go in, in and you're turning up with a level of confidence. And that means that you're sharper on the pitch. You're moving the ball around quicker. You're closing down quicker. Your, your backs are, are further up the pitch. That means your midfield are further up the pitch. Your forwards are as well. And I, and I don't think that when those players, it's almost like, go and play, lads. You know you've got it in you. You know you've got the ability to win the game. You know, uh, and um, they're defending extremely well. And um, and when you've got that that sort of confidence in your back, your defensive qualities of the team, then that 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 is worth another four four points at least. And um, I hope um, I hope Rick's doing okay listening to this because he's going to be screaming at us praising City and Arsenal and no, uh, he'll, I, be, he'll I, not be doing very well at all. Yeah, but I I agree with you, Thorpey. I um, I think it's well, you good. would agree with him, wouldn't you? Because you're well, a sad scouser, you see, and you don't well, like it when your scouse team gets hammered all the time. That that brings well, me to the next question because we're getting towards towards the end of the podcast. So I want to bring in a question which covers all three teams. Um, AD, I'll start with you. Who's oh, better, Spurs, Chelsea or Liverpool? Sorry, say that again? Who's better, Spurs, Chelsea or Liverpool? Oh, Christ. Spurs, Chelsea or Liverpool? Yes, I know you could look at the table, but just go no, by well, form. No, just just looking at what, what I've seen on, on, on the TV... God, that's a hell of a... I mean, they're all playing rubbish, aren't they, to be honest, at the moment. Um, who's got the potential to be to, to maybe develop a little bit? I, I suppose you'd have to say possibly Chelsea because they've, they've bought some new players, which, but then again, it's going to take them time to bed those new players in. Um, I thought Spurs were... The only thing going for Spurs, really, is the fact that they are a relatively settled side at the moment. They haven't done much business over... Um, over the transfer period, so one would assume that they're, you know, they're perhaps a little bit more organised. Uh, Liverpool just seem to be completely shot to pieces at the moment. I don't know quite what what the problem there is, but so I suppose I'd have to ask to say Chelsea maybe, but but only because I think they've got potential with new players coming in. Adam, I'm going to come to you before Thorpey asks because he's emotionally invested in that question. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think that's so eloquently put. I think, I think Adi <laughs> is absolutely spot on in terms of potential. I think the high, it being Chelsea, I think the highest chance of turning around of, of the three of them is actually Liverpool. And the reason I think yeah. that is that I think they've got better players all round that are unfortunately going, going through a bit of a blip. And... The thing is, Salah can go through a poor season and still score twenty-five. It's I think it's it's clearly a team in transition. It's clearly a team that have had a lot of changes to them. Do they necessarily need a change of manager or a change of style? Yes, potentially. Which I never thought I'd ever say because I really quite like Jurgen Klopp. But I I think that I think they'll be okay. I think we'll still see them get towards the top four do i think they'll get in the top four no i don't i think we could probably see them probably hit around fifth and that the table will always roughly shuffle itself out I, I think the top four that we currently see in arsenal uh man city and, and man united and newcastle may actually end up being the resulting one but that wasn't your question i think i think liverpool are the greatest chance i think tottenham will continue to be what tottenham have been for the last five years which is mm. a team that have good players that play nice stuff but just are missing that final extra thing to tie it all together. And quite frankly, I think the person that then finds what that extra thing is would become a very rich and successful person in North London because they have not found it in the numerous managers and quite a lot of money spent. I think Chelsea... Go on. Sorry, go on, Adam. Go on, Adam. Finish that point. And Sorry. I was only going to say that I think, I think Chelsea needs a complete uh, audit of itself on... Why are they signing players and are they signing for positions in need? Because I like all of their signings, 
if they hadn't already signed the players they had. This Nicola, this Murdich lad who I've watched a bit about, but not don't know huge amounts, really liked the look of him. Shao Felix, I've always liked when he was Benfica and Atletico and looked good in the World Cup. And they play a very similar position. Quality tackler is Shao Felix. Well, <laughs> outside of that, but outside of them, but then you've also got Raheem Sterling, who probably play out there and the day that Kai Havertz decides what position he's going to play will be a good day for Chelsea because he's not a nine, he's not a ten, and he's not a winger. So what does he do? He's sort of uh, at all of them. So I think I think there are deep-rooted problems with Chelsea that go far beyond a, a period of bad form. But I think Liverpool's is just bad form. Thorpe, I'm going to phrase this question slightly different to you because uh, oh, I think it's a very, a very interesting question. Um, Who's more likely to be in a position to lose their job if they don't reach their target? Which Could you argue that Liverpool are the one team that could finish the lowest out of all three of those teams and Jurgen Klopp would still be relatively safe? Do you think that's fair to say compared to Conte or Potter if they don't achieve their targets? Yes, I would have said so. Listen, you never know in football. I've always said that. It's a, it's a crazy business and somebody might come up, but who else are you going to go, go for? Um, so I think, yeah, he's, he's pretty much safe, he's, he's I'd like to think. Well, in terms of players go through a cycle, well, do managers go through it as well, regardless yeah, of how... Yeah, listen, we've right. we, we, we also got to remember, and, and it's, it's a very boring thing to say, and I hope, I wish I wasn't saying it, but there is an immense casualty list at the moment, and we've got those players that come back in. So I think that Adam's right on, on it as regards to the, um, the coming back in to form when those players get back in, you know, uh, available, then we've got those players coming back in. I think Tottenham need a complete and utter, um, well, shift out, a clear out, absolute massive clear out. I think they need to cash in on Kane. Um, that club needs to regenerate in completely. Um Chelsea, I think Chelsea have actually played some decent stuff. Um, I think he's a good manager. Uh, is, the, is the job too big for him? He looks very stressed out at the moment. Um, he needs some backing as well from the board. I think um, he's a dead cert to get the sack himself. But, but yeah, those both Tottenham, sure. both Tottenham and Chelsea could, could easily change their manager if it doesn't go their way, hmm. um, if they don't perform. I think that... Um, for me, it's exciting uh, to see the likes of uh, the, the regeneration off of, of, of Newcastle. Fulham, I think, are playing some magnificent stuff. Brighton, Brentford, and even Aston Villa. You watch Aston Villa go now, I think that they'll, they'll creep up the table. Um, and as for the rest, then then really also runs. It's going to be interesting Just to see. Just one more question, Sophie, on, on Spurs. Um, yeah. Like you said there, they do need a you know, a, a lot of change. They're a team that have had a very similar team recently. Obviously, they brought in Kulazewski and um, Bentoncourt recently who were broken into the eleven. But I just want to touch on Conte because does he actually deserve a lot more credit for getting Spurs into the top four last season? Because I think that's kind of being lost. Absolutely. Of course he does. I know, and he's, uh, he's another one. He's crying out for investment. He is absolutely crying out for investment. And that's what I think. If 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 they're not careful, they'll lose Conte, and then all of a sudden he'll go into his strop, and then they'll end up uh, losing. I think they're losing, losing anyway. Well, D Dave, they, they just uh... well, they, they they might well do because very very simply, very quickly, is that their players. I think they've got a, a lot of good players, but they're just for some reason they're just not gelling. Now, I I think I think the we will see the same issue with Conte as we always do which is that he is excellent at getting the players to play in a very certain brand of style very quickly to the point where he got Spurs Champions League football when they looked really naff halfway through the last season. So that's really rather impressive. He doesn't get the backing that he's looking for and then he'll fall out with them. The problem being yeah. that uh, the, the problem being that Daniel Levy is the complete antithesis of that. And that he does not like being dictated to both in transfer strategy and general uh, running of his of his club. So I think that he, no matter where Spurs finish at the end of the year, 
and he asks for more money, Levy will say no, and I think we'll see Conte leave at the end of the season, yeah. no matter where they finish. Yeah. Right, I need to I need to move it on, because we do only have five or minutes or so left, and there's two topics I still want to go through. Very, very quickly, because I want to talk, talk about Everton, but first of all, you would have seen uh, Mitrovic's penalty... Um, I'm sure where he hmm. hit the ball twice and he went into and it went into the goal. Um, just very quickly, Adam, I'll come to you with this one. Is the rule a bit naff with um, not hitting the ball twice? Because it seems a very odd rule to have come up with in the first place. So when that happens, is it just a little bit unlucky and we're penalising a player for no reason? I'm not sure because I think as soon as if we remove it, I think it opens up a whole can of worms. With we, we already see certain ways of taking penalties that the Perez on thing comes into play. Yeah, I think someone like Jorginho, he he always does his stutter kick, and, and he, personally, it, it's a slight gripe of mine because it, it gives the players a huge advantage over the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper can do nothing about it. I think there should, I think we should give the keepers a little bit of hope with that. And I think if you if you remove the idea of hitting it twice, this this type of um, issue, I think I think we're only going to be giving players a further advantage with these things. I think it's just an element of bad luck on Mitrovic's part in that particular circumstance. Yeah. Do you agree, Phil? It's a clear rule. It's a clear rule. You can't touch your ball twice. And I know it's, it's a slip. And he's, and he's actually diverted the ball back the other way. Yeah, it just, seems an odd was, rule to have, it just seems an odd rule to have thought of. Oh, penalties. Don't touch it twice. Well, how are you going to touch it twice? You're not going well, to I run almost, it, If it comes almost off the post, the thing is, if, the ball, if you take a penalty and it comes off the post, you can't then kick it back into the goal. Yeah. It, 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 you just can't, you can't do it. It's, it's a very, very simple rule. It's there for for a purpose, for that purpose or whatever. And um, unfortunately, he's he slipped and kicked it off one foot onto the other, which means it, the referee was bang on, and it's a free kick. Well, here you go on the podcast on football bloody hell. Hilda has been well and truly shut down there with that one. <laughs> um, Ad Everton, yeah. It's, it's rubbish off the field. It's rubbish on the field. Obviously, there was um, rumours going round on Saturday that for their own safety, the um, the ownership shouldn't be able to go to the game because it would just be too toxic. Ad, it's we got to be careful as fans to as much as you're dis, as much as you might be displeased with what's going on off the field, but there is a line and you have to do things in a certain way. Yeah, there is. But I, I think, you know, the, the one question you have to ask yourself is when you've got a crisis club that's in real problems, who is the first one that carries the can? And unfortunately, whether it's correct or not is neither here nor there. But in general terms, most often than not, it's the manager who gets gets the blame. Now, they seem to be sort of saying that Frank Lampard's you know he's he's safe or relatively safe. I don't think he is personally because I think you're not going to get rid of that. I mean, if, if you're the board and you own the club, I mean, unless you've got a buyer, you're not going to just walk away, are you? And there's you know, apart from the, the, the Russian guy, I've forgotten his name offhand now, but you know, um, he, he's he, yeah, that's the one. He he owns the club, but then you've got Ken Wright. I suspect he's got a fair few shares in it to say that they're not going to walk away. They're not doing a very good job, no. But at the end of the day, it's the manager who generally carries the can, and I think that's what's going to happen. Problem is, and unfortunately, I feel really sorry for him at the moment because you know he had a he had a transfer embargo at flipping like uh, Chelsea, and he's also got now because they've not put their um, their accounts in. Now they, the club should should be you know get their accounts absolutely bang on so that, that this type of thing doesn't happen and he's, it's affecting him so he can't go into the transfer market and get players in so he's having to deal with his same squad and I feel really sorry for him he's, his hands are tied and I think the fans know that he's trying his very very best with with, with a squad that's not but the, you know, the, the fans don't control the situation though do they it's the board of directors no, they, unfortunately that do well, you know, they, they need to look at themselves first mm. and get their club in order before they start thinking about getting rid of Lampard so and you're right then, he probably uh, will go the moral of the story is don't employ Frank Lampard and bad stuff won't come to your <laughs> football club mm. um, that is all we've got time for I think I'm afraid um, there's always loads that we can talk about on this podcast but someone's going to have to call it there um, AD thank you very much as always mate 
Uh, you're welcome. Enjoyed it. Adam, thank you very much for joining the Madhouse yet again. Pleasure as always. Thorpe, thanks as always. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And Rick, if you're listening, we all hope that you get well soon, son, yeah. regardless of all the, uh, the football stuff. Uh, we're thinking of you. Yeah. Um, Take it Rick. Next time around. But uh, until next time, this has been Football Bloody Hell. <laughs>